Hi everyone, welcome to this new episode of my podcast. Uh, again, this is a podcast where Pascal Coppens, the China expert from uh, from Nextworks and myself, will compare two companies, one from the West and one from the East. And this time we're diving into the travel business. I'm going to talk about Booking.com, their challenges and opportunities. And Pascal will talk about a Chinese company called Trip. Enjoy this new episode of my podcast. Hi, Pascal. Uh, Booking.com is the number one travel app in the world. Uh, Trip is number two. But one of the struggles that Booking has is to evolve from you know, letting people book a hotel room to becoming a partner in tourism. How is this for Trip? Well, that's the strength of Trip, And that's always what they've been very, very good at from the beginning. And that's also because the Chinese market is so demanding. I mean, trains, buses, any kind of tours they want to offer. But it's also about helping these tourists with Wi-Fi, with visas, with tax redemption. So Trip has built this super app. And I think that's really the value. And, and Booking could learn something from it, I believe. But uh, let's, let's look at the details there. Booking.com started out in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, as, as one of the early hotel booking sites on the internet. And pretty early on, they sold themselves to Priceline, a international US-based travel group. And in my opinion, this probably was the best acquisition ever in the history of online acquisitions. These guys paid 135 million US dollars in cash for Booking.com. And over the last couple of years, they helped to increase the profit from 10 million from Priceline when they made the acquisition to 1.1 billion US dollars. So, you know, this is the best deal ever. Um, and now, I mean, we're two decades almost further in the, in the future, and the most valuable part of Priceline is still booking, so they renamed it Priceline to Booking Holdings. It shows the respect that they have for them. And of course, these guys invest a lot in artificial intelligence. They invest a lot in, in chatbots and automation to make sure that people are getting helped with their hotel booking. But what I really value about Booking.com is that these guys still invest a lot in the human relationship as well. That we see them as a digital only player. Um, but I had the privilege to visit their contact centers a couple of times. And Booking.com actually has some of the biggest contact centers in the world. And what they do differently than other contact centers is they try to do as many outbound calls as possible. So if something goes wrong with your hotel, imagine that your hotel is overbooked, and Booking.com knows that information. And they will call you up front and they will ask you if they can put you in a different hotel that is similar in terms of price and location. But the fact that they call you to solve that, may, most of the time that means that your problem is being solved before you even knew that there was a problem. And it raises the level of trust that people have with Booking.com. But maybe the most fascinating thing about their customer service is that they are organized for those days and those customers when something goes wrong during a holiday. I mean, holidays are a lot of fun, but a lot of things can go wrong. You can get into accidents, you can get hurt, you can get robbed. Even someone may die during your trip and then you're out there on your own and you need help. Well, at Booking.com, they have this dedicated team of people in the contact center that is just doing that, talking, helping out customers that have a real big problem while they're abroad. And they help them throughout that entire journey. It shows the, the human level that they have and, and the focus on a human relationship. Now, 
a few of the challenges that these guys have. Of course, COVID hit them really, really hard. I mean, their revenue just dropped like crazy because we couldn't travel anymore. Um, but I think they're going to come back for that. That's a temporary thing. More structural uh, for them are new competitors. Uh, take Airbnb. That brings a completely new way of traveling to the market. But also hotels themselves. Take Citizen M. Citizen M already has a different kind of approach in their hotels. But now, post-pandemic, they are working on new models. They're working on subscription models, especially for business travelers. Uh, what they want to do is let a business traveler or a company pay a monthly fee. And then for that fee, you have access to a number of hotel rooms. You have access to their lounges. You get a lot of benef benefits. And it's a fixed price. It doesn't matter if you're going to stay with them on New Year's Eve or on the 2nd of January, it's going to be the same price. doesn't matter if there's a big show in town, it's always the same price. And they guarantee you that you can stay in your favorite hotel at the location that you want. And it's a subscription because they believe that the way that we work will change completely and they want to adapt their offering. This is something that Booking.com isn't doing right now. And we're going to see more of those new models. Now, another challenge that I think is a big one is has, is, has everything to do with their brand. Um, in the past couple of years, during my keynote presentations, I always asked an audience, who is using Booking.com? And then about 90 to 95% of the people raised their hand. And I asked them then to shout out some of the positive things about Booking.com. And I can tell you, people can easily name five or six and sometimes even up to 10 benefits of using Booking.com. So you could say that's great. Huh? But then I asked another question. I said, Imagine that there's a new player coming to the market that is as easy as Booking.com, but they're cheaper and they're maybe faster. Would you change or would you stay to Booking.com? And almost everyone would go to that new platform. So until now, they have a pretty transactional relationship. They're really, really good, the best in the world of booking a hotel room. But the relationship with the customer is because of that truly yeah, rational and functional. And that's a threat in the long run. Now, let, let's look at the offer you can't refuse model. Uh, we, we've been playing with this quite a bit for now. Uh, the, you have a good product service price. People expect digital convenience. People expect you to become a partner in life. And they expect you to add value to society. Each of these dimensions brings value to the customer. And if you bring them together in one storyline, it becomes an offer you can't refuse. Now, if you look at digital convenience, I mean, this, this is what Booking.com has done in the travel business, right? They made it so easy for us to order their best in class. And they made sure that they're better than anyone else. And because of that, they became extremely successful. The challenge for Booking.com can be found in the partner in life philosophy. If you look to the mission statement of Booking for the past 15 years, their goal was to help both B2C and B2B travelers to find an accommodation for any budget, any location in the world. And they're really, really good at that. Their risk is that they become a one-trick pony. So they changed their philosophy. And now their mission is to make it easy for everyone to discover the world. So what they want to do is move from a company that just helps you to book a hotel room to becoming a company that helps you with everything that is related to traveling. So other transportation means, uh, getting private drivers, uh, booking excursions, those kind of things. And it's a challenge for now. Uh, they're, they're trying but it's first steps. And I think that's where the challenges for booking.com to make sure that that becomes a business that is as big as the hotel booking business. That's going to be the driver of their future growth. 
And then you have the top of the model, changing your world, having an impact on society. Uh, a study that Booking.com did themselves showed that the large majority, 81% of the travelers, they are saying that they want to stay in a sustainable accommodation. This is a, a market opportunity for Booking.com because you could say we're gonna, we have this big library of hotels, we're going to help people to stay in a hotel that is in line with their personal values. So they are working on that and you can ask Booking.com in the filters to put hotels that work in a sustainable way, put them on top of your list. And I checked it out, I looked here at this hotel and they said, oh, this is a hotel that is really into sustainability. And then they promised that they would show me all the details. But then I had to, you know, go down, 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 down. And at the very, very bottom of the page, there's this small little button that says, if you want to know what they do for sustainability, you can click and then you get the information. But I mean, they're making a lot of buzz around it. But if you look to what actually, how, how difficult it is to find it, I think this is a missed opportunity. And a company like Booking.com, they have access to almost every hotel in the world. They have such a market share. Imagine that they really start to promote hotels that are really into sustainability so that people that find that important can actually find hotels that are in line with their personal benefits and their personal values. If they could leverage their strength even more, I think that would be a tremendous impact for Booking.com on the entire world of traveling. Until now, I have the feeling that they didn't take that opportunity yet. So they're great with their offering, they're great with their service, fantastic with digital convenience. They're going through a transformation in terms of partner in life, but changing your world, I think with their power, they can do much more than that. C-Trip is a travel agency, an online travel agency, the number two in the world. Uh, and of course the number one in China. And they also have trip.com, which is what they do outside China. And this company started in 1999. And I remember vividly uh, when I was in China in 1999, that wherever you went to travel, whether you went in a train station or an airport, what you saw is that there was always people of C-Trip around you trying to give you these loyalty cards. And it was very difficult to say no. So in the end, you just said, okay, give me that loyalty card. And you went home and you had like 20 loyalty cards of C-Trip. But the interesting thing was that at one point you say, oh, I need to book a train. I need to book an airplane. And so you took that loyalty card because you could get some discounts with your first purchases. And so everybody in China got to know C-Trip by them doing the hard work of going to every station and every traveler and giving them these cards. Now in 2003, they went public. It's one of the first companies that went public in the, on the NASDAQ in, in the US. So this company started really growing very fast and they became the number one in China. But as many companies in China, it's very competitive. So they started acquiring or investing a lot of their competitors. And today it's the number one travel agency in China and the number two in the world. But the interesting thing about C-Trip is their application. Uh, just like Booking.com, uh, C-Trip has Trip.com. This is about hotels, it's about flights. But if you then look at C-Trip, the, the Chinese version of Trip.com, then there you see how feature-rich this application is. There's really so many different ways of traveling, uh, not just the travel by train, by bus, by, by airplane, but anything you can imagine, a ferry, you can actually book it on C-Trip. But then it's also the way that you travel. There's group packages, there's expensive travel, cheap travel, there's travel on one, two, three people, whatever you can think of, 
they have these packages that is really cool and it's so feature rich. Now you see that often with applications in China that they just put so many applications or features into one app because they feel that there's always someone out there that might be interested in it. Interesting to know is that many of these new features and applications were built by the employees themselves. The employees came with these new ideas. And this is a little bit similar to 3M with post-it notes. I mean, let the employees really build your own products. That is possible and that is what happened. Now, the company is led by a woman called uh, Jane Sun, and she's one of the most famous women in, uh, in China, very successful, but it's also interesting to see how diverse that company is. 50% of their employees are women and 50 are men. So it's a very general neutral uh, environment. And for China, that's really an example that every company is looking at. So very interesting as a company and seeing the insight of the culture. The culture is very, very cool. Now, when we look at last year, look at 2020, look at 2019, what we saw is that with the pandemic, I mean, everything was stopped. Uh, travel was not possible in the first uh, half of uh, 2020, and that was in China a major issue. Later on, it was for the whole world. But by the summer, most of the Chinese were traveling again. And so the pandemic was kind of over in China, which meant that the travel agency like Ctrip could grow in that environment where everybody else in the world were actually stuck. Of course, Trip.com didn't earn much money during that period, but in China, it was actually possible, much to do with the health QR codes that were available back then. Now, there's a lot of opportunities that I see for Ctrip. I mean, of course, there's challenges, but I do see that the domestic Chinese travel is already ongoing for more than a year and is booming like crazy. So when there's a market that is booming again, of course, that's an opportunity. But what's interesting is in the last two years, 2020, 2021, we saw that China in the travel industry has really digitized. And so when you buy tickets anywhere, you want to travel or gates, anything is becoming digital these days. And so that really facilitates and put China on the map as being a leader in innovation and digitization when it comes to travel. Of course, the global environment where travel was not allowed or not possible for more than a year uh, has left a lot of impression on this industry. But that's again an opportunity for Ctrip, which has only been blocked out for about six months at the most. And so they benefit or they are benefiting now from the challenges that their competitors globally have. But it's also interesting to look at the diversification that Ctrip has. They have all kinds of tours. And one of the tours I really like about Ctrip is an around the world tour in 80 days for $80,000. It's very expensive, but Chinese are buying it with the dozens, with the hundreds actually, because it's so unique, this experience. And, and this is something that they think about constantly as how can we make the experience more unique, more personal, and uh, very much diversified to certain target groups that they're looking at. Now, if we look at the challenges, I think every travel company these days is challenged. The pandemic has left a big problem for this whole industry. Planes were grounded, uh, trains weren't full. I mean, it was a big, big issue. But Ctrip somehow figured out how to deal with it, but it still have left a big problem for this company. Now, if you look at the other challenges that China have, and this is for every tech company in China, but Ctrip as well, because they're dealing with so much data, is the re regulation of the government. Beijing not wanting monopolies, not wanting to actually uh, not take care of the data or privacy of consumers. And there's a lot of private information on Ctrip. 
So they're getting scrutinized. And so they need to fix this problem. And while they had an advantage on the global side, they actually now have to fix this problem on the local national side. And even in China now, you see a lot of domestic competitors popping up. Specifically, every platform, every ecosystem, whether it's Alibaba, Tencent, you look at Meituan, you look at Pinduoduo, everybody's thinking of, we can add travel to our portfolio. And so they're becoming many more competitors inside China. And that's a challenge. And then they're also public, but now there's a talk of delisting from the US. It's a lesser challenge, but at the same time, this this data that can go freely cross-border from China to the rest of the world is a problem both for a company like Didi but also a company like Citrip because travel is all about going cross-border when you go to another country. And so can that data actually travel to another site? So big problems. Now if you look at the offer you can't refuse concept of Stephen, then what you see is that in China, Ctrip is really having a great convenience. Uh, instant services on their customer service. Uh, I love the customer service centers of Ctrip. If you call them, they pick up the phone on average in 20 seconds. I mean, if I call my bank in Belgium, I guarantee you within two minutes, I don't have a person on the phone. Ctrip, it's really focused. And not just in China, this is a global service they're offering. While we in the West, very often we outsourced customer service long time ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. Now it's very different because people understand the value, but Chinese and Ctrip have always understood that. Of course, there's super app like WeChat, but in this case, Ctrip is very useful. It's top convenience, not just for booking planes and, and flights and, and, and flights and, and trains and so on, but it's also about all the details and the small things you need. One of the cool things is it's fun to buy things on Ctrip. And one of the things that the, the founder did, uh, James Liang, uh, is that when the pandemic hit and nobody could travel in China, he thought, well, I'm going to dress up in clothes, traditional clothes of Chinese clothes, and I'm going to go to certain areas in China that people might not know, and I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to tell a story. And he was live streaming a story of that city, of that town, somewhere out there in China. Once the lockdowns were over, everybody was traveling to this, these areas that he was live streaming as an actor. Imagine the CEO of a company becoming an actor and trying to dress up and dressing up in all these clothes. It's just funny and it's an experience, but people loved it. The result of it is that Ctrip almost did not have to lay off any people. There was no layoffs at Ctrip, while other travel agencies laid off a lot of people. And then there's the optionality. And I like that at Ctrip. When I book products at Ctrip, the nice thing is that they give you a list of options. You book this hotel, do you want to be able to cancel? Cancel within one day, one week, uh, what do you want? Uh, you can have so many options and that's really cool. Now, from a partner in life perspective, they're really a friction solver. And this is about helping people who travel for small things, because when you travel, the problem is often a hotel is overbooked or, or maybe your visa is something you need or a tax rebate or you need something that maybe the travel agency didn't think about. Well, Ctrip really makes a point to think about everything and helping people to resolve these problems. But they're also helping the hotels and helping the bed and breakfasts, the hostels, because they have so many places to stay. They're helping them to improve and adapt to the cultural sensitivity, specifically of Chinese customers. Having a water boiler or tea ready, that's important. And so they will tell these partners what to do. For users, for consumers, for travelers, it's all about giving these checklists. And that's really cool. When I travel to a certain place, it's nice that they would give you the checklist that you think about. 
maybe an adapter for a certain country. People don't think about it. And then you arrive there and then you need to buy one at the airport. Well, C-Trip will tell you that in advance. Do this, do that, do that. And they're very transparent in their pricing as well. This is really something very high on their agenda of priorities. They really want to make sure that there's no hidden agenda, no hidden prices behind the things that they're offering. And that has created the loyalty that customers give them. Finally, saving the world. Well, if you're a travel agency, you have a big impact on the environment. It's, it's just a fact. They're doing a lot of things. One of the things inside China is, is thinking about this inclusive mindset. And this has to do a lot with gender balance that they have inside the company, but they also create trips specifically for women, for couples, for all kinds of uh, different environments of people that believe we belong to a certain community. And that is really cool because people then book these trips and they feel that this is personalized for them. But they're also some doing something very unique because Chinese travels overseas, we often think like, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pain maybe because they, uh, maybe they're not culturally understood what's possible in our country. And so they're actually offering education lessons to Chinese to be more involved and inclusive in the local culture so that the people feel that they really did an effort. And I love that. Even speaking the language or a few words is very important. Finally, what they also do is because of the sheer amount of travelers is they control this flow. And so when there's too many people in Venice, for example, too many Chinese at a certain point, they can tweak their algorithms a little bit so that people actually prefer to travel other places so that the city doesn't get overwhelmed by travelers. And then they're doing a lot of other global projects on sustainability and eco-travel. So I'm really believed that C-Trip is a company that understands that to satisfy the customer of tomorrow, they have to look into the planet, have to look into being a partner of them and giving them the best convenience. Well, if I listen to what you said about Booking.com, for me, it's, there's a lot of similarities. Yes, and and it, yeah. it's, it's amazing to see how these companies are so similar in a way. Customer service, they, they really want to make sure that they understand what's happening in the world. C-Trip is, of course, now wanting to go more and more global. They're already global at Trip.com and Skyscanner. But this, these are acquisitions and it's a starting point. Uh, I mean, a few years already. But I mean, they want to compete globally now and, and not just Chinese travelers. They want to go to global travelers. So maybe Booking.com still has an edge there. Well, I think the, the fact that Booking.com has a global brand is, is definitely a, a win for them. And it's, it's a reference, especially if you know how people in general over the world are looking for hotels. It's still starting at Google mm. and they're still the biggest client of Google in the world, Booking.com. So it's almost impossible if you want to start with a hotel search not to end up at booking.com okay. mm -hmm. at this moment. So that's already going to be a, a challenge, I think, for C-Trip when they want to expand to Western markets, especially to get through that uh, close to monopoly mm -hmm. that uh, booking.com has on Google. Yeah, I, I think this uh, very clearly says that we'll see how the future looks like, but both companies seem to be well positioned to be the leader and stay the leader in, in, in travel. Hope you liked it. Uh, see you next week for another episode. See you next week and don't forget to subscribe to our channels.